0: my Housewives Relatable listeners. It's your girl, Stella, coming to you once again to talk about it all. Hi, guys. I hope everyone is having a good Wednesday. We're going to jump right into it because today we actually have a lot to cover. So First, I just wanted to say that in my last episode, I said that I thought that Kathy and Teresa may have secretly made up or been in communication. So listen, I have received some comments, some DMs. Uh, I appreciate all of your messages, DMs, correspondence. Um, I could be wrong, guys. I'm just following the trend here. It's just a feeling that I have, okay? But like I said, I could be completely wrong about this. The ladies from All About The Truth Um, They have been mentioning Kathy and Richie a lot. So you know that um, these ladies, their podcasts, they advocate mostly in favor of Teresa and now in favor of Louis as well. So the fact that they are softening up to Kathy and Richie lately, you know, I'm just paying attention. It might mean something. So they also said in their last episode, I believe, that they have been messaging kathy a lot on social media i'm not sure if it's on instagram or if it's on twitter but they said um that they have been in touch with kathy and that kathy has seen all of their messages she just hasn't responded yet so i'm just speculating here guys maybe kathy feels some some sort of way still um for the way that the ladies of all about the truth treated Richie um, in the past, in their blogs, in their commentary. So maybe maybe Kathy still feels a little bit sour about that. And I don't know. So I don't have myself personally a dog in this fight. I'm all for reconciliation. Um, As long as it's sincere, I've always said that, right? I just hope that if Kathy and Teresa have really made up behind the scenes, I just hope that it doesn't turn out to just be another one of Teresa's flying monkeys. And by flying monkeys, I'm not calling Kafia monkey um, there's a de- it's a specific definition <laughs> that I'm saying here so you can google it up you can feel free to see on Instagram what it means <laughs> there's quite a few quotes about flying monkeys and what they do and who tends to recruit them right or to need them all the time so I just thought I would say that. Teresa is also making a lot of headlines lately, uh, due to her recent comments aimed at Sofia Vergara. So, you know, it, it's an old beef that has resurfaced from, I believe, 2009 when Teresa was on Mario Lopez with Sofia on their, um, like back in the days when, I think when Teresa was just like starting as a housewife, I think. So, um, just to sum it all up, basically they are respective publicist asked them to take a picture together. Apparently, Teresa was willing and Sophia was not. So, um, Teresa overheard Sophia say, um, to her own publicist, why are you trying to make me take a picture with that lady, AKA, you know, that lady being Teresa. And, um, there's also another old video that is um, circulating online. Uh, maybe some of you have seen it. Um, it seems to be like, you know, one of those meet and greets between the housewives. I don't think it was like a BravoCon, but I see uh, Danielle, Danielle Staub is in the video, Teresa too. And uh, I can't remember who was the other housewife that was there as well. But, anyways, it seems to be some sort of like housewife event. And. Uh, Teresa recounts that story during that event also. There's a little bit of discrepancy uh, because on her podcast, she said that she's the one who overheard Sophia say, I don't want to take a picture with that lady. But uh, at the meet and greet, she says that her makeup artist Priscilla is the one that overheard that and kind of told Teresa what Sophia had said at that point, right? So anyways, for my own part, I don't have an issue when people uh, imitate accents. I have an accent myself. <laughs> people have made fun of me all the time. You know, I have a Caribbean French accent, so it's it's all good. Uh, for my part, when com- when stand-up comedians do it, especially when it's done tastefully and when the accent is on point, um, I just find it very funny. For my part, however, when it comes to Theresa, though. Um, I was a little shocked to hear that. I was shocked to hear Teresa mimic Sofia Vergara in that way, just because it tends to be like it seemed a little mean spirited to me. It was a little bit negative. And I don't think it was a very good look for Teresa, especially due to her husband also being like Latino, Teresa likes to say, my husband is Latino, right? My husband is Latino. She says that every chance she gets, right? So I was a bit surprised that she hasn't come out already with some sort of apology statement because I can see why some people may find find it offensive like the way that she was telling that story and she was like you know it's not like she was saying you know Sofia Vergara has like a like she has a strong accent and she was telling me that she didn't want to take a picture with me right it's not like she said that she was like saying you know she was talking with her thick accent and her thick accent she just kept on saying it in in that way right and it kind of made it seem like Sofia was like you know, an alien for having an accent, which is the case for most people in the world. Most people do have an accent, including Teresa and her parents. So, you know, I thought it was a little bit odd for her to to do that and to be so mean spirited about it, especially so many years later. Okay, guys, I'm going to do a little bit of, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because uh, I just want to go back to after the reunion. So there was a lot of speculations as to who Teresa could have spoken to that led her to believe that Melissa and Joe spoke with the feds which resulted in Teresa and Joe Giudai's indictment, according to Teresa, but we all know that this is not true. You have to recall that Teresa has accused Jacqueline and Caroline as well to be the culprit, and now uh, recently she accused Melissa and her brother Joe. So um, Teresa said to Andy that she had spoken with Jacqueline, and she also said that she had spoken with the FBI. If you recall, she said, Andy, I spoke with the FBI. So a few months ago, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but Joe Judice uh, he did a podcast with David Yontef on Behind the Velvet Rope, and um, he stated that he knows of someone that is an ex-FBI agent. So I did some digging, guys, and I went back to my archives <laughs> and I just wanted to say that I will put it on my Substack because, you know, it seems like things tend to be scrapped off of the internet these days. So um, I just want to make sure that I make this available to you guys in case it was to disappear. So if you want to see the screenshot, it will be on there. And by the way, my sub stack is housewivesrelatable.substack.com. Okay, so housewivesrelatable.substack.com. So I'm, go- I'm going to read you a little bit of an extract of Teresa's book, Turning the Tables from Housewives to Inmate and Back Again. I'm not sure which page of the book it is exactly because I found it online. I did not buy uh, that book. I have her cookbooks though, but I don't have that book. So I'm assuming it's in the prologue. So um, here it is. I had been dreading this moment for more than a year, but here I was finally on my way to prison. After saying goodbye to the loves of my life, my husband Joe and my four daughters, Gia, Gabriella, Melania, and Adriana, my lawyer James J. Leonard Jr. drove me to the Federal Correctional Institution in Denbury, Connecticut, from my house in New Jersey, so I could surrender myself to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. The prison would be my home for the next year of my life. No amount of preparation could have gotten me ready for this moment. I was supposed to turn myself in at noon on January 5th, 2015. But James, who I call Jem, had talked to prison officials about letting me turn myself in earlier, in the middle of the night, so my daughters wouldn't have to deal with the swarm of reporters photographers, news vans, and TV cameras we knew would be lying in waiting outside my house the morning I was scheduled to surrender. I didn't want them to ambush my family with their popping flashbobs and intrusive questions. It made me mad that I had to give up my last few precious hours with my family because of the media and the paparazzi. But I knew I had to do what was best for my girls. During our almost two-hour drive to the prison, a white van chased us for a bit on Interstate 287 North in New York. Before I could duck out of sight, a pap who was riding in the back of the van snapped some pictures of me, Jim, and a friend of his Named Mike, a former FBI agent, he had brought along for security. I still have no idea who that was, since I don't believe those pictures ever saw the light of day. Good. Well, I just want to say that I do have those pictures here, and I will putting. I'll, I'll be putting them. In the sub stack as well so in those pictures you can clearly see Jim in the car the Denali and uh, his friend that is sitting in the front of the car with him holding a cell phone um, so I'm assuming the friend is that ex FBI agent sitting in the front of the car so I'll, I'll be put, putting those pictures in the sub stack as well so I don't know how many ex FBI agents people will encounter in their lives but Based on what Joe and Teresa have said, I can only assume that they were speaking about the gentleman in the picture. Okay, so a major sidebar here. I just wanted to, um, you know, you you know, guys, I've been rewatching past seasons of The Real Housewives of New Jersey. You all know that, and um, I guess I did not realize that Jen Fessler. Um, well, I knew she was on the show at some point. I just didn't really recall which episode um, when Siggy was on. But um, I guess I just realized that Jen Fessler was also in the intro when Siggy is you know, saying her tagline. Jen Fessler is right there with her. And she was there at the purse party where Siggy laid on the ground and said, Melissa, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted. Jen Fessler was there. And she was also Siggy's wingwoman when Joe and Melissa opened up their uh, Gorga Pizzas restaurant. Like, you know, when Siggy refused to acknowledge uh, Margaret and her mom, Uh, the person that came with her at that event was... um, Jen Fessler. So I guess I did not realize that back then, but it's all about the gens right now cuz um, there's another gen that I did not real- realize something about and that gen is Jen Aiden. Um, I don't know if you guys recall, a few seasons ago, there was this uh, woman, she was a real estate agent, and she was trying to get the listing for Joe and Melissa's house. She was trying to sell their house. Her name was Jennifer Dalton. She was featured on the show a few times, and she was also acting a little bit like the middleman back then between Melissa and Teresa, um, because at that point... Which season was this? I think it was, was it season? Yes, it was season five. I'm pretty sure it was season five. Um, You know, there was like a lot of rumors with Penny and Jan and all of that. And at some point in time, Teresa was sitting at the restaurant with Kim D and Jan and Penny. And uh, that girl, that real estate agent, Jennifer Dalton, was sitting there as well. She wasn't saying anything. She wasn't part partaking in the conversation or the rumors but then you know as a good you know friend newfound friend of Melissa and also she wanted to get her listing she admitted that uh, herself on the show she went back and had a brunch with Melissa and basically told her what the rumor was right anyways so that woman Jennifer Dalton happens to be uh, a close friend of Jennifer Aiden and I did not know that And by close, I mean real close because Jen uh, Dalton actually refers to Jen Aiden as her bestie. Uh, You could see a lot of pictures of them over the years before Jen was even a housewife. Uh, They traveled together, they shopped together, their kids are very close because Jen Dalton has a daughter about the same, around the same age as Olivia. So you see them in the pool at Jen's house together and you even see the kids playing together. So I thought that was very interesting given that we have never seen jen dalton on the show right and at some point in time i had to to, you know do a double take a little bit because um there's a picture of jen dalton and jen aiden and jen is wearing this beautiful red dress that we have seen on the show and i was thinking did i miss something was jen dalton at that event as well do you guys recall um when jen had her sweet 16 wedding party the theme was all red and everybody had to wear red at that point so yes i thought that maybe um jen dalton had been at that event as well but then i i I realized that she was not and that was actually the 40th um that was actually Um, Jen's 40th birthday party. Like, I don't know if you guys recall at some point in time, Andy, because at the reunion, Jen was shading Melissa and she was saying, oh, you know, Melissa is so self-absorbed. And, you know, the theme of her 40th was like, you know, she's so into herself. There's like pictures of her eyes everywhere. And then Andy turned around and said to Jennifer, what was the theme at your 40th? And then Jen said, oh, mine was Moulin Rouge. Well, turns out that that picture with Jen Dalton was her 40th, like the Moulin Rouge uh, theme party. That's where that picture came from. And Jen is wearing the exact same dress that she wore for her sweet 16 wedding anniversary. Uh, That's why I had to take the double take because I was just like, I've seen this dress before, right? So, anyways, I will put all of that information in the sub stack. It will be in the sub. You'll see the pictures. I just didn't know that they were very close friends. I'm surprised we have not. Seen Jen Dalton on the show, Um, given the proximity of their relationship. I don't know if they're still friends anymore because I have noticed that she is not, like, she hasn't really been posting about Jennifer uh, in recent years. And Jennifer hasn't really been posting about Jen on her own timelines, although some of their um, past pictures are still, like, previous pictures are still on her Instagram or on her social media account. So anyways, I just thought I would bring this up to your attention because I did not know and I thought it was interesting and wanted to share. I don't know if you guys remember Louis Ruelas's business, DMS. Um, his business got slapped for improper business practice. They received at least like at least three complaints, where the plaintiffs are accusing the company. They're accusing DMS of violating the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. So, in a nutshell, for those of you that are listening from outside of the USA or outside of Canada, because you know we do have people listening from Europe. Um, It's basically a law that was put in place to restrict companies from making certain telemarketing calls. So it's not just phone calls, it's text messages, faxes. um, And the restriction also applies to automatic dialing systems and artificial pre-recorded voice messages. So as you guys are aware, there's currently a, a lawsuit going on when it comes to this. So I just wanted for my listeners to hear a message from Joe Marinucci, who is the founder of DMS. So um, this is something that I was able to find in the archives. It's approximately five years old. He was attending some sort of like convention called Leeds Con, and then he made... um, you know, a very important statement there. So I just thought it would be interesting for you guys to listen to it. So here it is.
1: Generation Industry.
0: Now, your
1: host, Michael Faree. I'm here with Joe Marinucci from Digital Media Solutions. He is a uh, board member at the Leeds Council. And I wanted to catch up with Joe to sort of figure out what you guys are up to. What is the Leeds Council for those that don't know? Um, and we'll go from there. So, so just if someone that doesn't know anything about the Leeds Council, what
2: is it and what are you guys up to? Industry Trade Association, lead sellers, lead buyers. We're trying to bring those two groups together to adhere to standardized set of practices, which we would be best practices on both sides of the coin in terms of how you buy leads and how you sell leads so trying to bring structure to an industry that historically has not had a lot of structure and so um,
1: buyers, sellers, all different verticals are part of the lease Council
2: mortgage insurance, education those are areas that we have represented currently and then there's sub verticals, technology providers, it's, it's a mixed bag so you guys are creating best practices and guidelines, or what?
1: What, what exactly are you uh, providing to the uh, the industry and to the members?
2: We have our standards, and I can boil it down pretty simply. You know, don't mislead consumers. Follow applicable rules, regs, and laws, and just try to stay above it. Just try to stay above it on the front side of the wave. And in doing that, you know, you're you're probably going to distance yourselves from you know a lot of the. The negative, the negative aura that has been over this industry in, at certain times. So, as a member, what are the benefits that they get from being a part of the
1: group? Uh, other, uh, uh, you know, besides you know supporting a good cause, what, what do they get from it?
2: There's pretty substantial discounts on attending the two shows: the Leeds Con show and the the new show, which is uh, connect, to connect Connect to yeah. Convert. So, there's pretty substantial discounts on both exhibiting and then badges which in and of itself, I think, helps pay for the membership. But over and above that, you get access to the content that we put out, white papers, um, webinars, a lot of which are compliance-focused, information on TCPA compliance, information on industry best practices, not only from a compliance perspective, but we do media buying, webinars, best practices inside of Facebook, how to get conversion metrics up, there's a lot of information which once you start to absorb it, it's a lot of value there. Additionally, we've got some other initiatives going, one of which is our DNC Dial Share, which is the DNC project we've been working on the last couple of it's actually a multi-year project now, which is mine share from some of the biggest members of the council, Quintree Street, my company, DMS, all web leads, lending tree where we're going to be aggregating information in our databases that we've compiled on consumers and their requests to potentially not be called again and how we share that information amongst ourselves to remove unnecessary or unwanted dials from the ether. So quite simply, if DMS talks to somebody about insurance and they tell us they're not interested and not to call them and we flag them as a do not call, if they were to have signed up on Quinn Street's one of Quinn Street's insurance sites weeks prior to us calling them and Quinn Street had yet to contact them, and we flagged them as a do not call, Quinn Street would have access to our information so they would know not to call this person, which it saves a lot of time, money, and energy on all fronts. It makes for a better consumer experience because the consumer is clearly not interested and they don't want to be called for Quinn Street and DMS whoever is removed whoever places the flag and then whoever sees the benefit of the removal can save themselves time money and energy by not calling that person because they're not interested and for the regulators they they just they don't want to have to deal with complaints of people getting too many phone calls so if we can lessen the amount of complaints that they have to work with that's time money and energy that they don't have to expend on those complaints and they can focus elsewhere overall it's a win for the industry now TCPA
1: is a big you know, issue, at least with Legion and calling and all that sort of, is that something that this can kind of, you know, there's, 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 you know, people out there trying to trap, you know, companies into TCPA violations almost, I don't know if that's the right way to frame it, but um, is this something that this would help sort of against if there's, you know, ambulance chaser or whatever, you know, what's a proper way to frame these individuals out there looking to make money off of companies that maybe have... Done something with the tcpa guidelines is that what we're is
2: that what we're trying to do here so tcpa starts with consent right so assuming I mean, we would never call somebody if we did not have consent green street would never call somebody if they did not have consent so consent yeah. is the tip of the spear you know if you have proper consent you go from there i mean then you're going to get into the issues of if we speak to them and they revoke the consent we'll be honoring the revocation so we do a lot around making sure that we are as buttoned up as can possibly be when it comes to revocation of consent. And we're getting people off the list. However, to your point, when you're dealing with an environment like the one we're in where the plaintiff's bar is very aggressive with litigation. You know, if another company was to call that person, they might confuse that phone call with the phone call that we placed. We could subsequently get sued, even though we have DNC'd them effectively. They might think that we called them back. So the idea is for people who want out, and don't want to get phone calls. We just want to get them out Yeah. so that there is no confusion on who called them, why they called them. If they don't want to get called, we want them out. We don't want them speaking to plaintiff's bar attorneys. We don't need litigation on this front. If we can get them out of the process, we're doing something here with the DNC dial share to get them out of that process. For companies usually don't share this information, right? It's not required. So this is, yeah. This is, I mean, no one's ever- yeah, so this would be this would be an industry best practice that has never before been achieved. So if someone wants to find out
1: more, they can go to leedscouncil.com um, and reach out to you guys there to find out more information. Yeah, they
2: can contact our executive director Rob Seaver. There's a contact us now form on the site. There's a phone number. We're, we're out there. We're around. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining me. Tell me a little bit
1: about Leeds Council. Appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for joining us today at LeedsCon Live.
0: Yeah, so I thought that this was an interesting statement made by Joe Marinucci, the founder of DMS, uh, given the circumstances that they are under with the lawsuits, for that exact same reason. Okay, guys, um, you know, a few months ago, back in May of 2003, there was a, you know, very scandalous shocking interview that took place between a former boss of uh, Housewives of New Jersey house husbands Uh, and um, so far I have directed all of my listeners to go and listen to that interview on that um, influencer's Patreon, under that influencer's Patreon account but I'm pretty sure that you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about um, the ex-boss um, of Louis Rujelas who decided that he wanted to speak his little speak and say what happened in the past uh, while he was um, basically mentoring Louis into the direct mail business, allegedly, right? So anyways, um, that interview was very shocking and there's a lot of things that were said. One thing in particular was uh, at some point in time, you know, he, the man, the former boss alleges that um, some people from South Florida were brought to New York or New Jersey to basically kind of just run some sort of um you know, telemarketing scam that involved lottery or land deals or basically what whatever under the sun that was hot at that point, right? So, anyways, the reason why I'm talking about this right now is because obviously I have many interests and some of my interests are not just housewives and. Uh, I kind of just uh, stumbled upon a story that I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with. And honestly, I am not going to talk about the actual story extensively because there's a lot out there about that particular story. Some of you may already know about this because you know it was major headlines a, a few years ago, like I think at least seven, eight years ago. So. Um, it's the story of Dahlia and Michael DiPolito. So Dahlia Mohammed and Michael DiPolito, if you guys are interested, maybe somebody can do a deep dive on this and explain the whole story. I, for myself, do not feel like I want to do that because there is just so much out there already about that story, the Michael DiPolito story and Dahlia Mohammed or DePolito because she ended up marrying him at some point. But just to sum it all up for you guys, um, basically Michael was married to Dahlia and they were living in South Florida and Dahlia put a hit on Michael. Uh, little did she know that when she put the hit on Michael, who was her husband at the time, she was speaking to a, po- a police agent that was wearing wiretap and there's a lot of details to that story again like i said i don't really want to get into it but you can go and see it on youtube or listen to case files there's even like a really good deep dive about this from crime junkies but to make a long story short she put a hit on her husband she didn't really love him anymore i'm not even sure if she even loved him at all but Little did she know that she was speaking to, um, a police officer. So basically she paid him the money, said the famous, uh, phrase, I'm 5,000 percent sure that I want to kill my husband. And at that point, um, you know, the kind of just the, the police officer and her kind of made up a plan together as to how things would transpire. And, um. She was supposed to just go to the gym and then come back from her gym, gym session, and then, you know, the police would most likely be there and her husband would have been um, killed, right? So, anyways, uh, fast forward to that fateful day. Um, you know, the police shows up and they, they, they kind of made a fake crime scene on the spot. And they were talking to Dahlia and said, your husband has been killed, yada, yada, yada. Uh, meanwhile, it's not true. And, you know, her reaction is very interesting because before they can even utter the words killed, she starts crying right away. Right. Because obviously she was in the know. She is just pretending at that point to be upset. But so eventually, you know, the the, the police takes they, they take back Dahlia back to the they take Dahlia to the. Police station, and they start asking her a few questions. And um, they ask her, you know, did Michael have any enemies? And um, who do you think could have done this? Like, you know, did he ever encounter any, you know, trouble with the laws or just got with the wrong crowd and all of that stuff, right? And you just need to know that Dahlia's lying and she's saying, like, that she doesn't know, she doesn't know, and she tries to come up with, like, people from Michael's past. Um, that may have put a hit on him or killed him or whatever. But um, one thing that was interesting during that interview with the police, and it's on camera, you can actually see it. Dahlia actually says one name of one person from... Uh, Michael DiPolito's past. And she says the name Pasquale. She says, I don't know, you know, maybe it's the old crowd that he was involved in before. One of them, his name was Pasquale. Uh, you know, I think that something went wrong with these people and whatever, whatever, maybe they did this, right? Again, guys, I just have to say this is not true. Dalia is the one who kind of set up Um, that whole scene with the police officer to try to put a hit on her husband. But why was the name Pasquale um, kind of interesting to me at that point? It's because I'm just going to go back to that interview from that former uh, boss um, that alleges that at some point in time, um, there was a telemarketing scam that was being run in New York in his office that involved Louis... And his friends, he even brought some friends from South Florida, allegedly, according to the uh, ex-boss. And uh, one of the names that he dropped was that family, the Rubos, right? So if you guys have been following me for some time and uh, listening to my previous episodes, you know that I mentioned the Rubos very, very lightly in, I think it was like three or four episodes ago kind of talk about that a little bit, but I just thought I wanted to, I just thought I would read you something interesting that I found um, online in one one of the archives. So when it comes to that whole situation, and like I said, guys, if you want to deep dive on the whole Dahlia and Michael DiPolito story, go ahead. I'm not necessarily going to talk about it much more, but I just wanted to um, share with you my findings when it comes to that whole telemarketing thing. So, okay. So it says, <clears throat> so it's a whole article and I'm going to spare you the details of the beginning, but I will put it in the sub, okay? So I'm just going to start it from here. It says that meanwhile, De Polito Michael, was introduced to a world of commodities fraud he worked in a local boiler room where he and fellow telemarketers would recruit people to invest in the foreign currency market and then steal the customer's cash. The Ruble family, a Broward County clan with ties to the Banana Crime family, was running his scam in Palm Beach and Broward counties. Investors lost 11.7 million before the scam was busted in 2002, according to a federal indictment. It's not clear from court files which boiler room Polito worked in. Broward Sheriff Office Detective John Calabro says it may have been the Rubos. But after learning the trade, DiPolito soon branched out to run his own scheme. So in 2001, he set up two companies, MAD Financial and CTU Inc., and began cold calling strangers as far away as Ohio, Illinois, and California. Persuading them to invest in foreign currency from an apartment in Boca, he had extolled the virtues of quick profits to be gleaned from the fluctuating exchange rate between the dollar and the Japanese yen, the euro, and the British pound. The plan was risk-free, he told customers. So then the article continues, you know, and they provide a little bit more details. Eventually, Michael DiPolito got caught. Uh, He got busted by the feds. And then he served two years in state prison. And I think he got like a 28 years uh, probation sentence um, that will expire sometimes around 2032. So I guess he's still on probation right now. But the article continues. And I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. It says... According to court papers, he claims to earn $87,000 $87, a year from his marketing business, but it's difficult to tell how legitimate the business is. Mad Media Inc. website has a, a design with a picture of a bulldog at the top. We are an outsourced media planning, buying, and strategy organization with proven experience in interactive, direct marketing. The site says, our proprietary technology-based solutions enable real-time deliver of high-volume targeted, qualified, and cost-effective leads, as well as campaign Optimization and management. So, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but uh, Michael DiPolito is originally from Philadelphia. He's this Italian guy from Philly, and eventually, after he got into some trouble, he moved to uh, Florida. The same thing kind of goes for the Rubos. They are, you know, formerly like they used to live in New York and eventually moved to Florida as well. So, I'm not sure, you know, the former boss was saying that Louis knows these people and that he had the Rubo family come down from, or this group um, from South Florida, the Rubos. It could have been just the Rubos or other people as well, but he basically said during that interview that Louis brought this group from South Florida to come and just kind of like operate some sort of boiler room. in New York or New Jersey, right? And try to sell people on land deals and lottery and something called the Euro Club, something called the Million Millionaires Club, or he wasn't really sure, he couldn't really remember, but I thought that that was very interesting. And I can't help uh, to think that, um, you know, I, I just can't help to wonder if Michael DiPolito has any connection to Louis, right? Um, it is fair to say that this happened a long time ago, but it seems to have happened during the timelines that were described by that former boss during that interview, like between 1990s and early 2000s or mid two thousand, right? And uh, Michael doesn't really, Michael Polito, he's not into that life anymore. You know, he seems to have turned a corner, um, from the last time that I checked, he was married to another woman, and that you know he was like a real estate agent in Florida, and he's kind of like living a quiet life and still paying on his restitution, right, for uh from the people that he defrauded back in his uh, telemarketing scheming ways, right days, sorry, so <laughs> so yes, it's um I I just can't, and I'm not saying that none of it is true or all of it is true i just thought that there might be a connection there i just can't help to wonder if the there's a correlation between what the former boss alleged and uh, michael dipolito i just can't help to wonder if they actually have either crossed back know each other if he ever came and did some sort of scheme who knows, right? The world is small. But I do know that uh, the Rubo family that is currently serving time in a federal prison, all of them actually, Angela, um, Nicholas, Joe Rubos, and Pasquale, that guy that was mentioned during that um, interview between Dahlia and the police, they're all currently serving time in federal prison for defrauding the investors out of six million dollars on vip tv and scrub daddy also i think i've heard of something that had to do with like investing in a movie that involved tom cruise Uh, apparently tom cruise had no knowledge of that movie and people were investing in it so anyways i know they're currently serving time in a federal prison some of them have been denied compassionate care because you know they also have like an elderly mother that lives outside uh in miami that needs care and you know the the were just denied that motion to um to uh for a compassionate release so um anyways guys um when it comes to vip tv i think i kind of Touched on that quickly in a, like a few episodes ago. Um, we see clips of on YouTube of Joe Rubos with uh, Kim Richards from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And we also see a pretty lengthy uh, interview between Joe Ruber, another gentleman, I can't remember what his name was, and Lisa Wu from The Real Housewives of Atlanta. So they definitely had some sort of ties to um, The Real Housewives franchise. So I thought that that was interesting and it will definitely be in the substack. Anyways, guys, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. Just wanted to let you know that next week I'm going to have a guest, an important guest, uh, somebody that I wanted to talk to for a long time. So stay tuned. And as always, guys, be a fan, not fanatical. Ciao. Oh, 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 oh,